Our scripture lesson is taken first from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, page 1,324, 1,324 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 20 and reading through the first part of verse 27. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. And then reading from the Old Testament, Psalm 2, page 617 in the Pew Bible, page 617, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, all the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, but his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Beloved of the Lord, This past year has been, in many respects, a rather bleak year. There have been major internal conflicts in four different countries that have cost the lives of thousands, disrupting the lives of thousands more, causing many displaced persons or refugees. And there are over 60 places on the planet where there is armed conflict and death. Uh, including terrorist acts and even the kidnapping of children. Throughout the world, we see erosions of freedom, including even in our own country. It's been a year of forest fires. It's been a year of cities set on fire by revolutionaries. Western culture is is increasingly decadent and immoral. 
The Western church appears to be in decline numerically and spiritually. Add to that our own personal tragedies and the continual unabated occurrences of sickness, accidents, bereavements, family quarrels, family breakups, addictions, depression. All manner of sorrow and trouble overtake us all sooner or later, and sadly often again and again. Is there any good news? Yes, there is good news. I would direct your attention this evening to a glorious announcement of good news. It's found in the sixth verse of Psalm 2. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have set my king, or as a footnote in my version says, literally installed. I have installed my king. God is announcing that he has a king, and he has established that king. This is attributed, this psalm in the New Testament is attributed to David. And of course, it applies first to David. God has established a king in Jerusalem, King David, for the defense of his people. There's all kinds of trouble surrounding the people of God in ancient times, but David was raised up to deliver God's people from their enemy. But the New Testament tells us, especially in Acts 4, where the apostles quote this psalm when they are praying about being persecuted, that what the psalm is really talking about or foreshadowing is that God has established the kingship of Jesus Christ. God has set Christ on a throne, on David's throne, in fulfillment of the prophecy that God would provide an heir to David who would sit on David's throne and rule over a kingdom that would last forever. So when we read this psalm, we should read it as being a Christocentric psalm, a psalm focused on the kingship of Jesus Christ. Christ has ascended. You know, the apostles were gathered together to watch Jesus ascend into heaven on the clouds. They saw him taken up on the clouds, and then he was taken from their sight, and they didn't see what happened after that. But Daniel had a vision in which he saw what happened when Christ arrived in heaven. We read about it in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days. He's coming with the clouds, that is, he's ascending on the clouds and coming to God, God the Father, the Ancient of Days. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel saw in his vision the coronation of Jesus when he arrived in heaven. And so the the psalmist declares, uh, God declares in the psalm, I have installed my king. Now to appreciate that, we need to see that declaration in its context here in the psalm. The context begins with insurrection and rebellion against divine authority. 
psalmist describes nations and peoples uh, rising up in tumult and murderous rage that who plot against the Lord's anointed, even the kings and rulers taking counsel together. All are desirous of throwing off the authority of, of God and the, the authority of his anointed ruler. David uh, spoke of many who opposed him. You know, he uh, constantly was uh, fighting to maintain his his kingship when he uh, Saul uh, pursued him for uh, for a long time, and then even after Saul died, only the tribe of uh, Judah uh, acknowledged David as their king, and uh, one of Saul's descendants and Saul's general made war against David's uh, forces, and even after he was uh, appointed, there were Philistines and Edomites and Moabites uh, who attacked the kingdom. There was uh, a rebellion among his own sons trying to dethrone him. All were plotting and taking uh, measures to try to overthrow David's kingdom. But God says, no, I've established it. And all this is, is going to not amount to anything. Insurrection is not new. Rebellion was Satan's sin. It was uh, Adam's downfall. It was Israel's habitual sin. It was the, the sin, the crime that Jesus was charged with, insurrection. Although both Herod and Pontius Pilate found him innocent of it, nevertheless they imposed on him the punishment for insurrection, and the real insurrectionist, the real revolutionary, Barabbas, who represents all of us, he was let go. The innocent is charged and punished for insurrection when we who are guilty of insurrection and rebellion, we get to walk free. In Acts chapter 4, where the apostles quote this psalm, they have just been told by the ruling council, the Jewish ruling council, to preach no more in the name of Jesus, and they have been threatened with punishment if they do, and and they go and they pray to God and say, now, when, when Herod and Pilate conspired together with the Jewish leaders and the, and the Gentiles to put Jesus to death, they were fulfilling Psalm 2, which says, why do the nations rage? And they quote this, uh, the beginning of this psalm as being fulfilled in all the conspiracies that put Jesus to death. But the fulfillment of the psalm is not limited to the political powers and religious powers that put Jesus to death 2,000 years ago. Book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 17, tells us that that old serpent, the devil, uh, is uh, having failed to stop Jesus from ascending to the throne, now vents his anger against Christ at uh, Christ's followers, those who are joined to him. And so Satan is working in the world today to destroy the kingdom of God on earth, the church, and to try to get you to renounce faith. Uh, We can take a lot of comfort from the fact that all of this tumult, all of this rebellion, all of this conspiring together was known by God before it, it happened, which means it's all under his control. There's nothing happening in the world today in the, the persecution of the church that, that God doesn't know about. You know, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the opening two chapters of the the book of Job, in which we read about Job losing all his children, losing all his wealth, 
losing the support of his wife and his friends and being covered with sores and so forth. But as you and I read that, you and I know something that Job and his friends don't know. We know that before it all happened, there had been this meeting between God and Satan, and and God had given Satan permission to do certain things, but put certain limits on it. We know what what Job didn't know was that that this was all God's plan, all God's will. Maybe maybe Job could could uh, deduce that, but we know now that our situation is like his. That any any bad thing that happens to us is is not evil, out of control, and frustrating God's plan to to build His church. It's all under His direction. It's all under His control. Nothing could stop the ascent of David to the throne. Jealous brothers couldn't stop him. Goliath couldn't stop him. Saul couldn't stop him. Uh, Absalom couldn't dethrone him. God had established his king, and nothing could take that king uh, from the throne except God himself. When we see David overcome all kinds of opposition, uh, we know that... uh, that Christ also is established on that throne. He has uh, risen victorious from the dead. He has ascended to heaven, and he is now on the throne, putting all his enemies under his feet. But God, uh, but the psalm not only describes uh, the uh, this opposition; it describes how God responds to it. And God has responded to this uh, with laughter and derision. From his exalted throne in heaven, God mocks the rebellion of evil mankind. That means that God is not worried about man's rebellion, as if finite creatures could overthrow the infinite creator. Rebellion is foolish. Resistance is futile. God confounds the wisdom of the worldly wise. He triumphs over the arrogant Like proud Nebuchadnezzar, God is able to humble the proud and uh, abase them. Although God laughs, he's not amused. Rebellion against his divine holiness and majesty and his righteousness and kindness deserves wrath. God's derisive laughter, uh, his scoffing, uh, shows us two things. It shows us that that God doesn't need any great army to overcome evil. He can overcome it any time he wants. But it also shows us, secondly, that, that he doesn't respond with that anger immediately. He's taking time to let it play out, so that the full number of the elect may be gathered in, so that none who are ordained for eternal life may be lost. God doesn't pull out the weeds until all the wheat begins to grow and reaches maturity. When the wheat grows and is ready for harvest, then God will also harvest the weeds and bundle them up and throw them into the fire. God is not idle while scoffing at the wicked. He proceeds with the plan of redemption and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. He has installed his king in Zion, the holy city, where he himself rules And uh, this psalm uh, is uh, showing us 
what is now happening in heaven. The fundamental conflict of all history is the, the conflict between the kingdom of God and the, the kingdom of this world. You know, the book of Daniel starts out that way. Babylon besieged Jerusalem. That is a, a statement of historical fact, and it is a metaphor for what all of history has been. Babylon, the kingdom of this world, attacking the kingdom of God. But what happens in the book of Daniel? What happens in the book of Daniel is a vision of a rock not caught by human hand that comes and smashes the statue that that represents all the kingdoms of this world. And then that rock grows into a mountain, which is a kingdom that fills the whole earth. The kingdom of God will triumph over the kingdom of this world. I have installed my king, and I'm not at all uh, worried, says God. I, I hold it in derision. I'm not worried about them and what they might do. I will accomplish my purposes. Then the psalmist tells us that God has issued two decrees uh, in response to all that's going on in the world. The first decree, decree is this. Today, uh, the Lord declares that uh, he whom he has installed on Zion has become his son. You are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Now, I have to confess, this is, uh, this is meat, not milk. <laughs> to understand this is uh, something that is not the easiest thing to understand. I think the, the easiest way to, to get a handle on it is, is to always remember that when God says this about Jesus, he's talking about the incarnate Jesus. He's talking about Jesus in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity has always been the Son of God from all eternity. But when he became a human, then that human nature also is adopted as the Son of God, the preeminent Son of God, the firstborn, made the firstborn of all the creation. Uh, God is, uh, uh, we read in Romans uh, 1 verse 4, uh, Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And of course, Resurrection from the dead points again to the human nature of Christ because it is with respect to his human nature that he died. And, and so he is declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. The apostles refer to this in their preaching in Acts 13 where it says, And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us his children by raising Jesus. Also, as it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The raising of Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 2. Today I have, uh, you are my son, today have I begotten you, uh, is fulfilled in the resurrection of the incarnate Christ, of the incarnate Jesus. God uh, prophesied to uh, David in uh, 2 Samuel that uh, God shall build a house, or, or David says, God shall build a house for my name. And I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, God is saying that David's son will be uh, the son whom God adopts. Hebrews uh, 1 verse 5, 
To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son? Well, God, uh, the second person of the Trinity, has humbled himself. He's taken the form of a servant and uh, humbled himself even to death on the cross. And then because of that, God has raised him up and exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, the name Son of God with power. In uh, one of Paul's epistles, he says that Jesus is now declared to be the firstborn of all creation. Adam uh, was at one time, the firstborn of all creation, uh, God's uh, firstborn son in this world, firstborn human son. And firstborn is a position of honor and a position of great responsibility. It makes him the ruler of the earth. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. But Reuben sinned terribly. And because he sinned terribly, Jacob said, I'm taking the firstborn position away from you and giving it to Joseph. And so the position of honor and and duty was given to to Joseph, taken away from Reuben. Well, the same thing is true with regard to Adam and Christ. Adam is the firstborn of all creation, but he blew it. And so it's taken away from him. And it's bestowed now on Jesus. He has that title. He has that honor. He has that glorious name. And all the responsibilities and obligations to rule mankind uh, for God that come with being the firstborn of all creation. Because Jesus has been faithful even unto death, God has raised him up and through his resurrection declared him to be the firstborn. That's one thing that God is saying to us. It, It tells us who Jesus is now. As he sits on the throne, he's sitting there as, as our head, the head of the human race, appointed by God to be the firstborn of all creation, and therefore our ruler who will take care of us. But he also decrees there that uh, uh, the nations are given to him as his inheritance. Uh, this was depicted in a preliminary way in David and Solomon's reign when they began to rule over all the neighboring nations around Israel. But now Psalm 2 speaks much more broadly in a way that couldn't have been fulfilled in David or Solomon's reign. All the kingdoms of the earth are given to the king who reigns on Zion, God's holy hill. All the kingdoms of the earth. Satan knew that that was something intended for Jesus, and Satan tempted Jesus with getting it an easy way without having to go to the cross, but he didn't take the easy way. He went to the cross, and now he has risen to the throne, and the Father is giving him uh, the kingdoms of the earth. All rule and authority in this world is being brought under Jesus Christ. He reigns. He reigns supreme. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He's in charge. He's putting all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You know, when Joshua led his uh, army across the Jordan River into the Promised Land and conquered kings from the south and kings from the north, at one point he had a group of kings and uh, that had been conquered, and he said to uh, his, his uh, lieutenants or his generals or whatever, uh, his uh, military leaders, he says, uh, put your feet on their necks, and those kings had to lie in the dirt, and 
and their, uh, these uh, generals uh, under Joshua put their boot on the necks or their sandals, whatever, they put their feet on the necks of these uh, kings. Uh, we see uh, a fulfillment, uh, a foreshadowing of the fulfillment of Christ putting all his enemies under his feet, or a fulfillment of the first redemptive promise. Uh, he shall bruise your heel, uh, and, you sh- and he shall bruise your head. Uh, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the woman. And so there's a lot of head crushing and heads in the dirt and so forth throughout Scripture to uh, signify that indeed Christ is in charge and he will win. When we look at the world through the lens of TV and the newspaper and the radio and personal experience, it's been a been a bad year with uh, some prospect that it's going to continue to be a hard time in the years ahead. But when we look at our world through the lens of Scripture, it is entirely different we see that God has installed his king. And we can take comfort and confidence in that, that there is therefore nothing in life or in death that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ is on the throne. Amen. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious good news that you have installed your king, that Christ is on the throne, that all authority and dominion and power is being put under his feet, And he will even one day destroy death itself. We pray, O Father, that we would be patient until that day, that we would not be filled with fear or distress, but continue to look up uh, and uh, see Christ there on the throne, see him by faith, and uh, honor him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.